We will bring him back on the podcast. He will receive slander, and then he will be kicked off the podcast. That is how this works around here. You can't make takes and then not face the music for them later. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that's waiting for an official statement from Tim Tebow on Urban Meyer. I'm David Arroyo, joined, as always, my pal Tom Shively. Tom, an exciting weekend in the world of sports. I mean, you you sent me a text earlier today that this is the best month in the sports calendar. But Tom, before we get into all the jam-packed action, I got to know, how you doing today? I mean, as a sports fan, I'm doing great, you know, uh, I, I felt something about the Patriots today. I felt something about the Red Sox today. So that's all good. That's all that matters. So your teams gave you feelings. Tom, we normally start with the Eagles, but that game's not as interesting. So we're going to start with what some people would call the game of the week. I would not call it the game of the week, and we'll get into that later. But it is, of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking down the New England Patriots 19-17 to and Tom Brady's return to Foxborough. Pretty anticlimactic. He he broke the all-time passing record today in the most anticlimactic way possible. It was just like no fanfare, nothing, didn't really matter. Didn't throw a touchdown, didn't throw an interception, but they won the football game. Tom, your thoughts on Bucks patriots I mean, Tom Brady's never been about the record book, so just go out there and, and complete passes. So I didn't that, that didn't surprise me at all. Um, I thought it was to, weird. To, I thought it was weird. On the road, though, like you really don't see that very often. It's not a normal on-the-road scenario, though. It's the place he played for 20 years. Like it, It's not a normal scenario to me. I don't know. I, it, it didn't really surprise me. I think in the game, I, I don't think that's something that Tom Brady really wants. He's not big on in-game celebrations. So I think I'm, I'm sure they may have asked him. And maybe he was just like, let's just keep playing the game. Let's you know maybe acknowledge it and move on. So... I mean, from a Patriots perspective, this game went about as good as you could go, not actually winning it. I think you saw a lot of positives for Mac Jones. He was 31 of 40 for like 275, I think. You are dead on. He, two touchdowns, one pick. Um, So I think you, you kind of see the system kind of being manufactured to fit Mac Jones. They went away from the run. I think they... I'm not sure if they got more later, but at one point they had negative one rush yard. I, they might have finished with that. Finished with um, negative one so, rush yard on eight carries. Yeah, so they, they went to the pass game because the run really hasn't been working all season. Harris has been okay, but obviously you don't have James White. So some concerns there. And Matt kind of with the dink and dunk pass game that has been so successful for the Patriots. You know, they took a couple deep shots. They, I mean, one of their deepest plays was the Jacoby Myers trick play pass, but they... They got it going in the passing game, and I think they put themselves in position to win, and you just kind of take your chances with the 50-50, 56-yard field goal. hits off the post, you, you lose the game. And, you know, there's no saying if Tom Brady with, what, maybe like 55 seconds left would have been able to drive back down. Um, as a guy who's watched it for 20 years, I would have told you the Bucks would have won that game anyway. But I, I think from the defense was really solid. They were some third down issues that I think could be fixed, but overall pretty solid performance. So I would say that was my big takeaway was how good this defense played, but I, I don't think I'm going to kill them for the third down performance when you're playing the greatest quarterback of all time. Like this is just what Brady does. He's done it for years and he just knows how to find the weakness in your defense. And he did that all night on third down, especially in the second half. He was really great in the second half on third down. 
So I, I think the Patriots can be happy about the way their defense played in this game. You know, you hung around with the Patriot with the uh, Buccaneers. I think the concerning thing for the Patriots is their offense continues to be pedestrian. Like Mac Jones played really well today, and you know, I, like I said this after the game to one of my roommates, but. I don't want to hear about how good Mac Jones is when the team puts up 17 points. But then I thought about it more after I said it to him. It's really not him. Like this supporting cast, we've railed on it since before the season started. It's not a very good supporting cast. He doesn't have a lot of great weapons to throw to in this offense. And so like you can already see this team might not be a playoff team. The building blocks are there. Mac Jones is a competent quarterback. I liked what they did a lot where they were putting him in the shotgun, allowing him to work out of that set because it allowed him to process pressure a little bit quicker and process what the defense is doing to him at a better rate than when they put him under center. So I liked going to that a little bit more often, but it's clear they need weapons. And if you're the Bucks. They're starting to be a real injury concern now. They lost Carlton Davis, so they lost another guy in that secondary. Bruce Arians, after half, was talking about how confident he was in having Sherman out there for a majority of the game. I'm sorry, there's a reason he wasn't signed until week four. Like, there's a reason he wasn't on an NFL roster. So, if I'm the Bucks, I'm starting to get very concerned about the secondary for this team because the teams you're going to have to beat to make the Super Bowl are Arizona, who we'll get to, LA, who's already beaten them, Aaron Rodgers, who is Aaron Rodgers, like the teams that you got to go through have prolific passing attacks. And if you're not healthy in the secondary, you're not going to make the Super Bowl. I think it's that simple. Yeah, I mean, you look at last week's game against LA, that really tells you all you need to know, even with a healthier secondary than they had now. My last thought on Mac is I I think you're starting to see coaches a little bit more fit the scheme to the quarterback instead of trying to fit the quarterback to the scheme you would think that'd be kind of obvious, but we saw it with Trevor Lawrence. I think you'll get to that Jags game in a minute, but Mac Jones feels more comfortable now than he did the first few weeks because I think the shotgun was a big thing that he's familiar with. Obviously, getting the ball out of his hands quick at Alabama with his playmakers. You know, you don't have as good of playmakers on the Patriots as you did with Smith and Waddle, but it kind of getting him into his comfort level so that he's able to play a pretty solid game against the best quarterback we've ever seen. There were a couple mistakes that he got away with. He had a really bad throw on third down in the red zone that could have been a pick six, really should have been a pick six. But rookie mistakes, you kind of have to live with that a little bit right now if you're Belichick. Though the one thing I do want to say about the Patriots, I think they're in a good position to like the big weakness they have being wide receiver because it's another I wouldn't say it's a great wide receiver draft comparatively to the last couple we've had, but it's still a good draft. And depending on where they pick, they could have a chance to draft Chris Olave, who's a great route runner. He creates separation. And that's exactly what you need for a young quarterback is a guy who can create separation and get open. But I would I would still agree with largely everything we've said. You know, the Bucks offense, I don't think is really a problem. They, they didn't look perfect tonight but to complete to convert that many third downs clearly something is going well for that offense and I I think it's much like last year you know what let's give them a full season before we bury this offense they've looked good they haven't looked great but by the end of the year it didn't really matter and I, I still think I said this last year Brady's hasn't looked special at all the last two seasons He's just been very like good. He's been good enough and he's he's been he's smart. He's beating teams with with how smart he is. He's not going to make critical mistakes in big moments and that's why the Bucks are able to win so many of these games. I mean, that's really been Brady's second Super Bowl wave 
mantra. He hasn't necessarily had the elite skill set, especially in these these last three, four years. But you see the intelligence. I know you talked about third down, just just finding a way to, to move the chains. And that's just what he's always done. All right, let's go over then to the team I root for, of course, that's the Philadelphia Eagles losing to the Kansas City Chiefs, as I expected. A little bit closer than I expected, though. 42-30, to they're able to put up 30. Uh, let's start on the Eagles' side since they lost. Jalen Hurts, 32-48. of 48. He had 387 yards passing and two touchdowns, a quarterback rating of 105.1. So, solid day all the way around from Jalen Hurts. Also a solid day from Devontae Smith, his best day so far as a pro. He had seven catches for 122 yards, no touchdowns though uh, targeted 10 times and I thought the passing attack overall looked pretty good the run game looked a little bit better still though only 19 rushes they ran for 100 yards though big issue though if you're the Eagles they gave up 278 yards passing to Patrick Mahomes and that equated to five touchdowns for Mr. Mahomes and even bigger concern I've lauded them for being a good being good at stopping the run 200 yards on the ground to the Kansas City Chiefs. That includes 102 yards on 14 carries for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Seven yards a carry, you're not going to win that game. And the defense really let the birds down today. I think there's also, a lot of pop. Be- be- real quick before you go, fun fact about this game. They flashed it during the broadcast. Fourth time in NFL history, a game in which neither team punted. No team punted in this game. Uh, shout out to Presbyterian head coach who doesn't punt. Um, Love that, man. I, I think there's a lot of positives to take if you're Philly. I know you really didn't expect them to win. I think a lot of Philly fans are, are probably in that similar boat. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to be just fine. The Chiefs are going to be fine. Uh, what Hill had 11 for 186. like just laughable numbers. <laughs> 17 yards a catch. I mean, the, the Chiefs are going to be okay. I know... I, Maybe some people a little bit were were sounding the alarms, myself included, after the one and two start. But they get the Bills next week at home. They they probably should take care of business there, and they're going to be right back in the division conversation. So I mean, Denver lost today. L.A. or Vegas is going to lose tomorrow. So I mean, you got to feel pretty good if you're the Chiefs sitting here two and two with a, a pretty good win in Philadelphia. I would say let's start with the Chiefs. They looked really good, but I think. They signed Josh Gordon for a reason, right? I think they're really hoping he's a major contributor because outside of like the issue they ran into in the Super Bowl was if you can find a way to somehow take away both Tyree Kill on the deep ball and Travis Kelsey underneath, the Eagles did a good job taking away Travis Kelsey, not a great job taking away Tyree Kill. If you can figure out a way to somehow take away both the way Tampa did, you're now in a world of trouble because you don't have another great receiver that you can throw the ball to. So I think they're hoping Josh Gordon comes in and can be Josh Gordon of old because Josh Gordon of old was a what top 15 receiver in the league. I don't oh, know if he's easily. that I don't know if he's that good anymore, but if he's even close to that, that's a major upgrade to me over what they have right now. And he's a different style than a lot of these other guys. He can win like a lot of contested 50-50 balls that some of these other guys on the team can't. For the Eagles, though, I think the concern at this point, the offensive line looked okay today. They keep getting called for illegal man downfield penalties. And that's just because Jalen Hurts is holding the ball too long. I think he continues to show some flaws that you don't really want to see from your starting quarterback, like an inability to lead his receivers. He's holding the ball too long in the pocket. And when he leaves the pocket, he's often no longer looking for receivers downfield and guys are getting open as he extends the play. Like the whole point of being able to extend the play is to then find someone downfield for a massive play. So that concerns me. 
I think the play calling has been questionable at times. Like they've had severely different play calling week to week. I thought it was pretty good this week, but like last week they were trying to throw the ball deep every play. That was kind of weird. This week they went back to short, quick, get it into playmakers' hands, which is what they should be doing. But this team is getting penalized way too much. They're not healthy on the offensive or defensive line. Clearly, their secondary is an issue if you're giving up 11 catches for 186 yards. Uh, Darius Slay pointed out today because he was taking a lot of heat on Twitter. Only the second time, and, and I, I take his word for this, he could be wrong, but I'm just going to repeat what he said with no journalistic checking or integrity on my part. He claims it's only the second time in his career that somebody's gone for 100 yards on him. So, I mean, if that's true, fairly impressive, but not a great time to have it happen. And Eagles are in this division because this division is very winnable all the way across the board. But they didn't look great today, and they have a tough test with Carolina coming to town, or they're going to Carolina next week. Oh, that is going to be tricky, yeah. How winnable is this division, though? Dallas has looked pretty good so far, speaking of that win over Carolina. I think we still have to see Dallas against not like the best teams because they do play the Chiefs this year, but like the Dallas against Washington. I think Washington's still a very good football team, specifically that defense. So I want to see that matchup. I think if Dallas handles that matchup, yeah, they should walk away with this division because to me, they're clearly better than the Eagles. They're clearly better than the Giants. It's really just going to be, are they better than Washington? And if this defense continues to play how they've been playing so far this season, not only is Dallas going to win the NFC East, Dallas, I heard someone say it today, and I think I might agree with them, Dallas could compete for the NFC Championship with how good this offense has been so far. Like, who who can compete with this offense right now? This offense has weapons all the way across. They have two running backs. They have four good receivers. It's really just, can the defense show up? And so far, the defense has shown up. Yeah, I mean, the NFC feels really open this year, I think. You know, we touched on, we just talked about Dallas, you know, and obviously Arizona and Los Angeles are two of the big competitors as well. Kind of probably your front runners in the NFC West. You got the the team that everybody expected in LA and then the upstart Cardinals 4-0, the only 4-0 team in the league. Vegas also undefeated, but that was an impressive win. I know I texted you, like, the Cardinals are for real, like, almost questioning it. But they, you know, they win by 17. They they never really felt like they were in danger of losing. And they beat the Titans by 25 in Tennessee. And then they go to L.A. and win by 17. So, I mean, how real are they? I think they're a legitimate team. The one thing we will say, two turnovers from the Rams can't do that against a high-powered offense like the Cardinals. You cannot give them extra opportunities to try and score the football on you. So, you know, right there, I don't know if they scored on both those turnovers because I actually don't have those statistics in front of me. But I I know whenever you turn the ball over, that can be costly. I'll say the Cardinals have really taken on, and this is something you were just talking about with Mac Jones and the Patriots, but the Cardinals have very much taken on the identity of their quarterback. They are very comfortable with, let's air it out. If there's not somewhere to throw the ball, let's be comfortable with Kyler Murray using his legs to try and beat you. And when you have a quarterback who's this good running the football, it opens up running lanes for guys like Chase Edmonds and James Conner, who James Conner, strange, has become this like incredible short yardage goal line back. Like That's what they use him for. And it confuses me every time because I don't remember him being that in Pittsburgh. But Chase Edmonds today, 10 yards a carry, like 120 yards on 12 carries, that's a recipe for success. And it's a recipe to keep your young quarterback confident and playing well like 
Arizona looks really good. I still have questions about this defense, but if the defense keeps forcing turnovers like they've been able to do so far, that can largely mitigate a defense or can, it can help a defense that is otherwise pedestrian. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. You look at the offense, they, they can compete with anybody against, I mean, what a lot of people would probably say is the best offense in football, or at least the best offense in the NFC today. They went and, and, and destroyed them, and now... It's the inconsistency. It was a problem last year for them. They started out really strong last year. You're talking like, oh, them and Seattle are really going to throw LA and are really going to contend for the NFC. And it just kind of fell apart at the end. And it's can they make those adjustments continuously that had a couple scares. They escaped the Vikings by one point. Uh, they had a really bad half against the Jaguars, but we were able to figure that out. It's, it's can they be consistent enough to keep it going? Because I think at their peak, they're as good of a contender as anybody in the NFC. They can beat anybody. Well, it's all about Kyler, right? Because last year they were playing really well and then Kyler had that shoulder issue and he just wasn't the same quarterback after he had that shoulder issue and that really tanked the rest of their season. I think if he can stay healthy, which is a huge if given his size and his play style, but if he can stay healthy and remain healthy throughout the entirety of this season, yeah, to me, they're as good as anybody offensively. And in this league, we've said it a hundred times, but at this point, the way the league is played, if you can score points, you can hang in any football game. And that's been the recipe for a lot of teams recently is just high powered offense. How many points can you score? Or in a you know a, a 30 40 minutes time frame you, you know because look at the Chiefs the last couple of years like they've had those games like the Texans game or were they down 28 didn't matter a couple stops a couple game, big yeah. Pl- yeah a couple stops couple big plays you win the game like it if you have a higher powered offense you can be in any football game uh real quick I think there's a couple more games we want to hit on none that we want to hit on in depth but before we get past the one game we were talking about Chiefs Bills is next week I have slandered Josh Allen at every turn on this game. If he wins in Kansas City, and you know what? I'll even go a step further. If it's close, if he loses a close one, he plays great, he duels with Patrick Mahomes, primetime game, I will say Josh Allen is a good quarterback. I already think he's a top 10 quarterback, but I think he's wildly overrated. I will say Josh Allen is a top five quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if they win in Kansas City. What uh, what constitutes close to you? Three-point game opportunity. Like, if they go up with two minutes to go and Patrick Mahomes goes down and beats them, I will, that's a close win. That's a a, a loss. Like a Patriots performance today is is close. No, if they put up 17, not good enough. Mm, Okay, so we're we're adding addendums already. Correct, correct. So if they win 17-14, not good enough? Fine, that's good. No, that's good. If because they win, that, no matter what the win is, it's good? Okay. No matter what the win is, it's good because that shows a level of maturity to go into Arrowhead and win. It, you know, because to win a 17-14 slugfest, that means you made some smart plays down the stretch. I will give him credit in that scenario. Of course, you got to see how the game plays out. You know, there could be there could be ugly wins. I don't expect that. I think if you're going to beat Kansas City, it's probably going to be a shootout. So if he goes into Kansas City and wins... Josh Allen will have my blessing as a top five quarterback in the league, which I will have been reluctant to say up to this point. I mean, he's done nothing but hang 35, 43, and 40 the last three games. I know the schedule yeah, was soft. Who are the teams? I know the schedule was soft. All right, you know, fine. Miami, Washington, Houston. Thank you. But you can only play the teams in front of you. So you're right. We'll see. 
Exactly. He's playing a team in front of him next week. Tom, the last couple things I want to hit on here. These are just general musings I had about the NFL this week. I'm going to start with my boy Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, comes into the game. I don't think he looked great, but I thought he looked good enough. And you saw... You saw how this offense can transform with him at quarterback. He had seven carries for 41 yards. And the offense, although he missed some throws early that like were very easy throws and he should be making, it, to me, that's just part of the growing pains of a rookie quarterback. He didn't throw any inter- interceptions, so he didn't make any like crucial game-altering mistakes. He looked good enough. And to me... If Jimmy Garoppolo is out for a couple weeks and you go to Trey Lance and you start to lose a couple games, but he's showing you flashes, you shouldn't go back to Jimmy Garoppolo because at that point, the season is lost. You're not going to be able to win the Super Bowl. Just go to Trey Lance. The future is here and move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm kind of curious what you think on that. You, you know how I feel on, on rookie quarterbacks. I'm always a little bit more liberal in terms of when I think they should play. I, I think if, if Lance is the best quarterback on your team, uh, which which I am the opinion of that, then you should play him now. And, you know, Garoppolo, you, whatever you're worried about with him, whatever you're worried about with Lance, get him in there and see what happens. So I'm if I'm the 49ers, I'm starting Trey Lance in week five against the Cardinals. I just think the offense is going to be so much more dynamic when you can game plan to have that kind of offense with Trey Lance, a guy who can both run the ball and throw the ball. Like, Obviously, he came in today and there was no game plan for that. They didn't plan for Trey Lance to be playing today. Yet he still made the offense more dynamic the moment he came into the game. So to me, you give Kyle Shanahan, who most of us agree is either the best or one of the three best offensive minds in football. You know, it's him, Andy Reid, and Sean McVay are probably the best offensive minds in football. You give him this kind of quarterback and it's bound to work. Like every piece is there for Trey Lance to succeed. So if he doesn't succeed, it's on Trey Lance. Like it, I think it's that simple for the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm not saying succeed this year. I just mean succeed at some point. And I mean, you're playing the Cardinals too. It's not the 85 Bears of defense. So you, you get out there. It, it's a good team that he goes up against. It's a relatively low pressure game on the road if you lose, you know, with Arizona being 4 and 0. And you see what happens. You know, if, if you lose, you, you get blown out, you move on, whatever. Tom, my game of the week, I alluded to this earlier, but my game of the week, that Thursday night matchup between Bengals Jaguars, Bengals, of course, won 24 to 21, but a great battle between young quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. I think play calling at the end of this one really screwed over Trevor Lawrence. Plus, he didn't really have a receiver out there who could create separation like at all. Like Chenault was his guy on third down, but even he is not great at creating separation. He's not a smooth route runner. So I, I thought this was a really impressive game on both sides for the Shark didn't play, right? Did I miss that? Shark did not play? Shark did play. He got hurt during the football That's, game, if okay. I am not mistaken. So, you know... Credit to the NFL, too. All of the primetime games, that includes Thursday night games, have been excellent so far this year. And, you know, I usually I'm the one slandering the Thursday night games, but got another great one. I thought it was the game of the week this week. Glad you brought up the Bengals. I have uh, I have a couple of, of bold predictions, possibly, on, on, on teams oh, I'd I thought, like. I thought you were bringing the, uh, the pre-podcast conversation to the podcast about are the Bengals the... The best worst team or the worst best team? I mean, we can we can play that in. I I think the Bengals are the best bad team in football. Yes. Agreed. Oh, um, no, no, I, I disagreed. I think the Raiders are the best bad team in football. Well, I think the Raiders are a good team, so that's, that's where we differ. Yeah, semantics, exactly. I think the Bengals have a real shot to make the playoffs. I'll say it. 
I think three and one right now. The schedule, you know, they get the Lions in a couple weeks. The Jets, those are two of the next four. Five and three. If you win those, you split against the Steelers. You know, you still got the Broncos. You finish with the Chiefs and the Browns. So you better get your wins early. But dark horse playoff team, especially with. You know, the, the, the AFC East outside the Bills isn't getting anybody right now, I think. The AFC South outside of the Titans isn't getting anybody. So that leaves you three wildcard spots from two divisions. So I think they're better than the Steelers, and I think they're probably better than the Broncos. Or, you know, they're, I think they have as much of a chance as the Raiders to make the playoffs. So it's interesting we brought up the good team, bad team. I'd put them at around that level to make the playoffs because the seven seed's wide open right now. So you say that, right, the Broncos are going to be hindered a little bit if Drew Locke is their quarterback. I thought they were looking pretty good so far with Teddy Bridgewater. If Drew Locke is the quarterback, I, I think a lot of their playoff opportunities may fly out the window. That's, these that's what I'm saying. I think the Bengals have a better chance than Denver. No, no, I'm just, I'm just stacking them oh, up against right. teams. But by my count, I only count like eight wins total because I think they beat the Lions. I think they beat the Jets. I think they probably beat the Steelers, to be honest. I think the Steelers are a very bad football team, but they already beat them once, so who knows how that's going to go. So I'm already at six wins. And then it's a lot of tough games. Like, are they going to beat the Chargers, the Niners? Are they going to beat the Ravens twice or even one time? The Browns, they have to play twice. The cheat like it's a rough, rough sled after they play the Jets, honestly. Like, that second half of the season is really rough for the Bengals, and I don't know if they're going to win enough games in that back half. If if they get to, what would that be? If they get to six wins before they play the Browns, I think they have a great shot, because now you just need to steal three in the second half of the year. I think if you can get to nine wins, oh, wow. Yeah, what, nine and eight? Nine and eight, I think, no, I think could it might get be enough the playoffs. AFC, yeah. Yeah, that, you, it would be close. The, the issue they run into is if the... AFC West doesn't beat up on each other the way we're expecting them to if they all just like split games because then all those teams could potentially make the playoffs I I don't see it with Denver but I, I think you look at those three and then you look at Cleveland and Baltimore in their own division so you know you're, you're probably looking at third place at best but I'm, I'm kind of feeling the Bengals so give me their uh that, that's my early upstart playoff team the Bengals are a lot of fun right like in terms of the the bad teams thing, they're a fun team to watch despite them not being like that good of a football team. Specifically on offense, like Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase are one of the best wide young wide receiver tandems I think in football. Like they're a really good young wide receiver tandem. So I think Cincinnati is an exciting upcoming team, much more exciting than the Jaguars. I mean, we said it last week that Jamar Chase might have been the right pick and most watchable what Bengals Cardinals maybe most watchable what most watchable teams like in football right no, now for the, me it's the Cardinals one but I don't know the where Chiefs are still most in. certainly in that conversation good point uh Tom last thing I wanted to bring up before we moved off of uh the NFL that is the most cowardly move of the week and that is I, I don't know if everyone else agrees with this but I was watching Jets Titans and it looked like the Titans were playing for a tie and f- for the coach to say he would cut off one of his body parts, and we know which body part that is, to win a Super Bowl, for him to play for a tie, let alone a 40-plus yard field goal kind of tie in overtime, 
cowardly. I never want to see that again from this football team. Ridiculous that you can't go down the field and score on this Jets defense. They they low-key, like, this defensive line looks really good all day against this Titans O-line, and the Titans should be embarrassed by this loss. They're not contenders this year, are they? They suck. They... They're masquerading as a good football team. They're going to win like 11 games because that division is so bad, but it's a terrible loss to the Jets. They're going to win like three games at most this year, and it's just, yeah, you know, they're not, the offense is not quite what we saw last year. Derrick Henry had another great game, but, you know, when you're giving them the ball 35, 40 times a game, you're going to run into some problems, and they're not going to have any problem making the playoffs. They get Jacksonville next week. They're going to kill them, but there's just – I don't see it against the class of the AFC, and I think there's a pretty big gap between, honestly, like five teams and them. The The more I watch, though, I, I think the Colts might be the team to beat in that division. Uh, granted, when the Titans are healthy, it's probably them, but I, – I, Carson Wentz was they, good today. That division is horrid. Like, it's such a bad division. And I I want Carson Wentz, first of all, to keep playing. Whether they make the playoffs or not, I could care less. It does affect the percentage of snaps I need him to play. But, like, 70% of the snaps and they don't make the playoffs, that's great for me. So if Tennessee wants to figure it out and get it together, that'd be great. But now I'm in this predicament on my fantasy team where... I have Tannehill and Heineke. Like a moron today, I thought Tannehill would figure it out against the Jets. He did not figure it out against the Jets. And I think he plays Jacksonville next week. So like that, another one where you think he should do well next week. I don't feel good about playing Taylor Heineke against the New Orleans Saints. So I'm in this predicament now of I don't know what to do at quarterback. I need Trey Lance to play so I can bring him off the taxi squad and just throw him into the starting lineup and say, whatever, if we lose some games, we lose some games. But I, I'm i not feeling great about my fantasy football team right now, Tom. I think you should play whoever gives you the best chance to lose. That's my analysis. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that expert analysis. Tom, we're going to move on to college football. We were just talking about the Cincinnati NFL team. Let's talk about... I guess maybe the biggest win of the college football this week because all the other teams, for the most part, kind of took care of business except for Oregon. But, you know, I don't really want to talk about Oregon Stanford. You called it to me off the pod that it's the Pac-12. Oregon was bound to lose one or two games. Tom, the Cincinnati Bearcats, 24-13 to over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. In today's AP poll, they've moved up into the top five. They are the fifth team behind Alabama, Georgia, Iowa, and Penn State. Tom, what do you make of the Cincinnati Bearcats? They were your team before the season started, and they are making you look like a smart man. That is a hell of a defense. I will start with that with Cincinnati. Devin, uh, Desmond Ritter got all the hype going into the season, but to hold Notre Dame to 13, I don't think they scored until the third quarter. I think it was 17 nothing Cincinnati at halftime. If you're Luke Fickle and you are crafting a script on how you want the season to break for your team to potentially make the playoff, I, I think you've hit most of the notes so far. You get the two big wins against Indiana and Notre Dame. Granted, Indiana is going to be lucky to make a bowl this year, to be honest, so that win might lose a little bit of its shine. But Pac-12. I told you everything. Hold on. I told you everything that last year doesn't count, and Indiana has just proved that. Go ahead. Indiana might not. I mean, they got – Three losses already, and they got Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State still on the schedule. So unless they win one of those, they got to win out. But Penix might be hurt. I don't know what happened with him at the end of that Penn State game. But anyway, back to Cincinnati. 
You get the Oregon loss, so now no one is undefeated in the Pac-12. Uh, Oklahoma looks very gettable in the Big 12. So you're looking at two SEC teams are probably going to get in. I think Alabama, Georgia, unless some sort of catastrophic upset happens either way, which I don't think a lot of people see with the way those teams have played, especially those performances this weekend. And then probably the Big Ten champ, and that leaves kind of that one other spot. The ACC's played itself out, I think, with Clemson losing twice, the Pac-12. If Oregon loses again, I think they've definitely played themselves out. So that leaves you kind of who's left. And I think that's kind of the group of five dream scenario is, is when the dust settles, you're the only team left standing. And that's kind of what I see with Cincinnati right now. The American is going to be very weak this year. UCF had a bad loss to Navy over the weekend, but... Is it going to be enough with the way the rest of the dominoes fall? I think they have enough so far to feel comfortable. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. You know, they're clearly going to be the best team in the American. They've done what they should have done, which is win all of their non-conference games. So that's really good for them. I think the thing that could potentially hurt them is a scenario where, you know, uh, let, let's say you have two. I, I th- it's impossible, right, at this point for the two teams who play in the Big Ten championship game to both be undefeated because Iowa, don't Iowa and Ohio State play each other in the regular season? Doesn't matter. Ohio State has a loss. Th- that's why I said that, right? Doesn't. Um, I guess Iowa and Michigan could be undefeated, maybe, so it's possible. Oh, yuck. That that's not going to happen, though. So let's just not hope for that one. Yeah, I I think I think the path is clearly there. It's obviously possible for them to make the playoff. It's just a matter of now, like. Don't take your eye off the prize. You you have to stay focused because these are college kids. It's easy to hear all the noise. And to me, it's very easy to slip up one week against an American team that you're better than. Like they're 28 point favorites next week against Temple. So they should theoretically roll Temple. But what if, you know, coming off the high beating Notre Dame, you're a top five team. You go in there, you're a little lethargic. You drop one to Temple. Like, I don't think they will. I'm just saying, like, that is what they have to guard against now for the rest of this season. And I think it's not the first time you've seen that scenario. It it feels like a lot of big teams, or I should say a lot of big non-Power 5 teams that that get the hype. I know we saw it with Memphis a couple years ago when they lost – uh, the other went to the Cotton Bowl. I forget who they lost to. It might have actually been Cincinnati, but they, you know, were undefeated. Had a lot of hype around them, and then you just get caught up on like a Friday night in at Tulsa or wherever it was. But you know, you're playing a lot of weird time games. You have more national exposure than you ever had at Cincinnati, so it, it is a unique environment. And being such a heavy favorite could have some pressure on you. So. It'll be interesting to see if they obviously they have to hold serve to make the playoff. That's if they're not undefeated, they're not getting in. I think that goes without saying. But how do the rest of the dominoes fall? And so far, they've they've fallen pretty well in the Bearcats' favor. Yeah, I'm super curious to uh, unrelated to their playoff standings, but what this season does for Desmond Ritter because he's played fairly well so far. But I haven't heard him be talked about. Like his. The conversation around him in NFL circles, from what I understand, is that he has improved every year, and so they were waiting to see if he improved again this year. I haven't read anything about Desmond Ritter. I honestly, to full disclosure, didn't even get to really watch him against Notre Dame because I wasn't around or near a TV for this game, so I don't know how he played in this game, but to me, if he 
has shown any sort of improvement from last year, that's very positive for his NFL draft stock because that shows a propensity to continue to get better. And that's exactly what you're looking for if you're an NFL coach. You don't want a guy who looks like he's close to a ceiling. You want a guy who you think there's room to improve and you've seen through college that, oh, wow, look, he can improve year after year after year. He can keep adding new wrinkles to his game. And if I get him into my system, I can make him a better quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm seeing 19 of 32 for 297 and two touchdowns against Notre Dame. And, and they were very conservative in that second half, too, when they were trying to nurse that 17-point lead. So I think really good game from Ritter overall. And this is – the tough thing is, like, this is the last national stage he's really going to get this season. I think with – when you look at, you know, I think – let's look at four weeks from now when they're playing South Florida. That's not moving the needle for a lot of people. So what do you do in the big games? I think he did enough, but – People are going to forget about this by the end of November. I think if you're if you're Cincinnati, I know what I just said, but they have to be careful too in not playing these games to not lose. They still need to be playing to win. You know what I'm saying? Like often, I feel like teams who lose, they're trying to play to to or sorry, teams yeah that are trying to like make the playoff or something like that. They're trying to play to not lose. And they just need to guard against that. Because if you start changing the way you play just to try and make the playoff, I think that's bound to bite you in the end. You're going to get stung by that if you start trying to do that as opposed to just playing your style of football. Tom, we're going to go forward then and preview the biggest game of this week, the game you and I, of course, have all of our eyes on. And that, of course, is the Penn State Nittany Lions traveling to the third-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes. It's a 4 o'clock game in Kinnick. Tom, I'm looking at a line here on ESPN, and Iowa opens as a a 2.5-point favorite over the Nittany Lions. So basically, to me, it's a toss-up. They're saying that because Iowa's at home, they should be favored, but these teams are evenly matched. Tom, how do you read this game? What are your? You just saw Penn State yesterday. I'm sure you've seen Iowa this year. I haven't really watched a lot of Iowa, but I have seen Penn State, and I definitely have thoughts on that side. But I've, you first. I've watched a lot of Iowa. I saw... I didn't see a ton of Indiana, but I saw a ton of their game against Iowa State, and I saw a lot of the Maryland game on Friday. I think it's hard to underestimate how good this defense is, and and their turnover margin, we've been saying all season, kind of is going to be hard to sustain, but they just keep sustaining it. So at some point, it's just got to be that defense really is this good. They forced seven against Maryland, six picks. Uh, Tungvaloa threw five. They outscored them 31 to nothing in the second quarter. Um, so the defense is putting the offense in, in good position to succeed. And I think that's kind of where the the focus of this matchup is going to be is how well can Sean Clifford take care of the ball. Because so far this season, he's been pretty good at it. I know that was really a problem in 2019 and 2020. So if Clifford you know, puts you in a good position, doesn't turn the ball over, I think Jahan Dotson's the best playmaker that this Iowa defense has faced all year by far. So that secondary, I think, is going to be tested. Washington's no slouch either. It, it, it's can Penn State move the ball enough on offense? You're not going to need a ton of points. 21 might win this game. It, it's can you get enough of those points? Really, I think the way they win it is the way they won the last two in Kinnick with enough offense to kind of just escape and hang on and, and put together a touchdown drive when you need to. And We'll see if they can do that. Iowa, very good defense outside of Georgia and Alabama might be the best defense in the country. Uh, I think the, so one, I got a text from someone 
I think it was Brian McLaughlin. This would be a second shout out in two shows, so I got to stop doing that. But I think he texted me today. It could have been someone else who said to me that this Penn State defense, they look good on TV. They look fast in person. They look like a very fast defense. So to me, this could be one of the better defensive matchups of the season in terms of two defenses who can really go head to head with the other. And so it could come down to what you mentioned of what offense makes less mistakes. And no offense to Sean Clifford, but at this point in his career in big games has not shown a propensity to not make mistakes. I feel like every time I've seen him in a big game. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll give you that. But I, I feel like I'm always seeing him make mistakes in game. like, And it's always really, really bad mistakes. I know he had that one pick against Auburn that I didn't really kill him for because it was like a third down. They took a deep shot. It was whatever, end of the half. So I think you just have to avoid any costly mistakes. Get the ball into your playmaker's hands like this offense has been doing. I, I think that is like their big strength is this offense, I think, is a lot better than this Iowa offense. The Iowa defense is probably better than the Penn State defense, but I I don't think it's worlds better. And I think the Penn State secondary is so good. You just got to control the line of scrimmage on that side of the ball. The big, big issue for Penn State, though, and I think this is a massive issue. They are horrible, and I mean horrible, at running the football. So you could have a lead late in this game, and you're going to have to throw the ball. You're, you're not going to be able to hand the ball off and ride this one out into the sunset. You're going to have to continually throw the football. And when you're playing a defense that has forced this many turnovers, that could be a problem. You you could you could be up you know 17, and that lead might not be safe because of how often you're going to have to throw this ball. And that could lead to some turnovers in this game that then allows Iowa to potentially get back in it or win the game. Yeah, I think the Iowa running game as well with, with, you mentioned the trenches, probably advantage Iowa. I know you look at the two running attacks that have played Penn State so far, they've been really solid in Wisconsin and Auburn. Malusi ripped them for 121, Bigsby ripped them for 102. So can you stop the run at all if you're Penn State? Because Iowa does not want to throw it. Iowa's the polar opposite of Penn State's offense. They're, they're going to hand it off 120 times if they can. So can you stop that and force uh, Petrus into you know, third and eights, third and nines that make him uncomfortable and kind of make those those Iowa receivers make a play against against Brisker and, and TCF and Joey Porter Jr. and all those guys. So that's going to be – if Penn State can get them into third and long, could be a long afternoon for Iowa. Penn State needs to do well at stopping the Iowa run game, right? Because if – the book on Iowa historically these last however many years, it's been a while, has basically been don't let them beat you on the ground. Because if they beat you on the ground, they got you beat. Because you want to force whoever the Iowa quarterback is to throw to playmakers that, no offense, are not there on the outside. They do not have the playmakers of the other teams in the Big Ten. They do not have the big arm quarterback of the other teams in the Big Ten. You want to force this team to throw the football. So if they can run all over you, it's going to be a really, really long day for the Penn State defense because their strength is in the secondary. You want this team to throw the football. And if you get Iowa into... You know, if you get them behind the change, you know, second and 10, second and 13s, or third and 10s, that's a recipe to beat Iowa. I'm not going to give an official pick because I don't feel good one way or the other about this game, but I think it's going to be a really, really close football game in Iowa. And I'm sure the home crowd is going to going to really play into how this game turns out. I've said this before. It's 
People talk about how hard it is to go win at Kinnick, and, and it is. A lot of teams struggle. You know, Ohio State got blown out there a few years ago. Michigan famously lost on a, on a last-second field goal in 2016, which helped Penn State win the conference. But last two times Nittany Lions have gone win in 2017, albeit on the last play, win in 2019, albeit by only five points. So maybe there's something they figured out at Kinnick. It, it, it's hard to say that the, it's hard to see them winning three in a row, but I think this team is better than the 2019 team. I think they're not quite as good as 2017, but this, in terms of stakes, is the biggest game out of those three that have been played. So how well does Iowa and Penn State respond to that? I think both of them have kind of had those big game atmospheres so far this year, and both have won big games on the road and at home. So it's going to be really fun. I'm not ready to make a pick either. I'd probably lean Penn State right now just because of their offense. I think it is better than anyone Iowa's seen so far, but we'll see how it goes. I think Iowa plays a similar style to like a Wisconsin team that Penn State's already seen and beaten. Yeah, uh, the one thing I will say in terms of uh, the 2017 game in particular, they did have something to play for in terms of Penn State. You know, you were definitely competing for a Big Ten championship that year. And I would I'm saying say stakes like both sides though, like both teams. Yeah, yeah, you're you're 100 right. The one thing I will say, I think the weapons are better in terms of on the outside. This is the best like receiving core Penn State's had in a while since like Gesicki and Godwin and like those guys were there. But even then, like I think these receivers are more dynamic than those receivers were. This run game though, this run game's not good. This run game is so so bad and. Like that was something they, the run game helped them win that 2019 game. 2017, you had Saquon Barkley like that. It was a different kind of team both times. And this team's inability to run the ball, I'm not sure when it's going to bite them, but it's going to bite them at some point. And if there's going to be a game Penn State loses, I've said it to you before on the podcast, this is the game to lose. If you're going to lose a game, you want to lose this one. Because if you lose to Ohio State, you are all but punting your opportunity to play for the Big Ten Championship, which means you're punting the playoff opportunity. Because if Ohio State beats you, that means they're probably going to beat Michigan too. And I I think Penn State... They can lose this game, but Ohio State in a couple weeks, I think it's on on the 30th, right? The October day before 30th, Halloween. Yep. They cannot lose that football game. This game they can lose and still realistically make the playoff. They cannot lose to Ohio State, but they need to keep their eye on the prize because if they win this game, I think there is a realistic possibility they can run the table. And of course, if you run the table, you you can make the playoff. I don't know, man. I've seen a lot from Michigan and Michigan State these these past couple weeks. The the Wolverines have looked really solid. They got to come to Happy Valley though. I don't love them winning that game. I do like their chances though to break the curse against Ohio State. So you know, a little late November preview. That's gonna be a fun game. So Penn State might not be dead in the water if Michigan's able to beat Ohio State and there's a three way tie like there was in sixteen, but. I mean, yeah, I think I guess that's comforting if you're Penn State and that even if you lose here, you still kind of have all your goals to play for. You still have a national championship possibility. You know, obviously 12-1, and one, I think, Big Ten champ, which should be good enough to get in with the way some of these other conferences have unfolded so far. But, I mean, yeah, this at the number three team in the country, you don't get these opportunities very often. So we'll see if they pass the test. 
Penn State, I'm going to be all, like, this is full disclosure. Obviously, you and I both went to Penn State. We have a bit of a bias toward Penn State. They have an opportunity by season's end to have one of the three best, like, resumes of any team in the country. Specifically, if, like, they win out, like, you would have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six ranked wins? Okay. You'd have six ranked wins going into a playoff scenario. Granted, Wisconsin no longer a ranked team, so how much weight does that still hold? But you could potentially have six games in which you beat a team who was ranked when they came to your building or when you went to theirs, whatever. And like the only other teams who can stack up with those kind of resumes will be Alabama and Georgia, who we both think are consensus the two best teams in college football. To me, it's not even close. Like it's them and it's everybody else. And I think I said it when the year started. This is Georgia's best chance to beat Alabama. They just need to get JT Daniels back and healthy. Uh, Penn State twelve and zero. Georgia twelve and zero. Who has the better resume of those two? Looking at what Clemson and Auburn have done. Probably Penn State, because that means you would have beaten an Iowa team who we all think is good, an Ohio State team who we think is down but still pretty good, a Michigan team who's way better than we thought they were going to be. Mind you, I think I brought them up on the preview show as a potential sleeper and got laughed at by both you and Caleb, so I would like an apology on that front. And Michigan State, I think no one saw coming. Like this, Michigan State's a little surprising. Granted, their signature win right now, if I'm not mistaken, is beating up on a bad Miami team, so I think we should pump the brakes a little bit on Michigan State, but... Penn State always has trouble with Michigan State, no matter how good or bad they are. How I, I could easily see like a Penn State everything to play for last week of the season in East Lansing, getting everything they want in that game, and then being in a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Uh, shout out to you because yeah, you were right on Michigan so far. I was I was low on them. I do have to shout out Caleb for he was on Cincinnati with me. He wasn't bold enough or smart enough to take him to make the playoff, but he's been on Cincinnati with me. He's been riding the hype train so. Not quite my level, but we respect it, Caleb. We like it. Hey, he was a big Pac-12 guy, and the Pac-12 has disappointed. He's been a big Oklahoma guy, too. I mean, they're surviving, but this this week is the test. When they inevitably lose a game, I told him before, when they don't make the playoff and Spencer Rattler doesn't win the Heisman, which he most certainly is not going to, we will bring him back on the podcast. He will receive slander, and then he will be kicked off the podcast. That is how this works around here. You can't make takes and then not face the music for them later, unless it's you or I, and then in which case, we have to remember it. Oh, we we still face the music, music. yeah. Uh, It involves us having to remember the take, though. If you or I don't remember it, we never hear... Never hear any criticism for it. That's kind of the way I like it. Let's keep it that way for as long as humanly possible. If he's listening, uh, tell him to free up his calendar next week because Texas is going to beat them on Saturday. Do you think that's a nail in the coffin? They lose to Texas. They are not making the playoffs? I think it's too early. I think they're going to be in like Oregon's boat, one loss, see how everything else shakes up. I think that's probably bottom of the food chain conference-wise. I'd go Oregon over them for sure. Well, especially when, again, I hate to keep saying this, if Georgia and Alabama both went out and played each other in the the SEC championship game, you're getting two SEC teams because they've looked that good. Specifically, the Georgia, like, front seven on defense, dominant. They, there are NFL first and second round picks all over that defensive line and linebacker core. Like, this Georgia team, I keep saying it, this is the Georgia team that can win a national championship. If Georgia wants to win a national championship, now's the time to capitalize on it because Alabama's vulnerable. Alabama's still really good, obviously, but this is the year you could potentially beat Alabama. And if you don't beat Alabama, 
got no one to blame but yourself. That that is a hundred percent on Georgia at that point if they can't you know win the national championship. Tom, let's. Did you have one more thought? You look like you had. Oh, uh, who are you taking neutral field right now if they played tomorrow? Is JT Daniels healthy? Uh, yes. Georgia. No, he's not if healthy. He's, if he doesn't play, I take Bama? Alabama. Okay. I yeah, probably I, I probably lean Bama either way. I, I think he's the difference, right? I, I think I think your offense I think the difference between this Georgia team and some past Georgia teams, specifically the garbage Jake Fromm Georgia teams, is those Georgia teams were just trying like the thing I just said, they were just trying not to lose. They weren't trying to beat you. They were just trying to play safe, just trying not to lose the football game. I think with JT Daniels, they kind of realized we're not going to beat Alabama unless we can score points with Alabama. No matter how good this defense is, if we if they start scoring and we can't score with them, we can't win. And I think this Georgia team can score with Alabama in a way the past Georgia teams absolutely a thousand percent. Jake Fromm is garbage. Could not. I'm really piling on Jake Jake Fromm. He didn't do anything to me, so I apologize, Jake Fromm. Uh, it's because he it's because they chose him over Justin Fields. Like that's what it comes down to. Is is they really fumbled that one? I, what did they see in camp that caused them to play? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what blackmail Jake Fromm had on on Kirby Smart or what it was, but I don't know what. Because the moment we saw Justin Fields, it was like, oh yeah, he's good. Who would have thought? All I'm saying could have been Penn State's quarterback. Too James soon, Franklin too fumbled soon. that. James Franklin fumbled a national championship right there. Because that, listen, outside of quarterback, good enough to win a national championship. I'll say. Oh, it. that 2019 team, if they had Justin Fields, was the national champion for sure. Tom, let's move on away from the fictional 2019 Justin Fields led Penn State Nittany Lions, <laughs> the national champions that season, and move on to our final thing today. And that is, of course, the hectic final day of the MLB regular season. Just to recap, we went into today with the possibility of four teams tying for the AL wild card, and they're having to be four games to decide who makes it to the divisional round. Turns out none of that is going to happen. The Blue Jays won, but the Yankees and Red Sox also won. The Mariners, unfortunately, lost RIP to the Seattle Mariners. They stayed in it till the end, but just not good enough. Once again, I think they have the longest, if I'm not mistaken, playoff drought in professional sports. Tom, Yankees, Red Sox for the AL, for the right, I guess, to advance to the divisional round. You would know better than me who they would play. Uh, Tom... Let me just get your instant, you know, you're a Red Sox fan. They started off hot, had a bit of a rough patch throughout the second half of this season, still found a way to be here against the Yankees. Yankees were so up and down. They made those huge swings at the deadline. They looked like they weren't playing, panning out. Then they went on a massive win streak. And now here they are. They're playing each other, both opportunity to make the divisional round. How do you see this series? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of back and forth with... Sox and Yankee fans on Twitter, as they always are. And first of all, to the rest of baseball, I apologize. The Sox and Yankees made what could have been a very good situation boring by winning today. I'm sorry that they went out and won baseball games. So Seattle, better luck next year. Maybe win a couple more games in April, and then we can talk. Toronto, same thing. But Oh, come on. Actually, I was kind of rooting for Seattle. Like that, That's mean. That's mean. You know, I was rooting for Toronto all oh, I day. Toronto can... Go somewhere the, hot, so you know. Any any uniform that wears, any team that wears a uniform that is baby blue, I instantly like. Yeah, what it's they just what they should do is they should 
only count the records after Toronto moved back to Canada. That's what they should petition baseball to do. Like when they were playing down their home games in Florida, wherever they were, or Buffalo, whatever it was, those shouldn't count. count. So it's just whatever the record was, extend that to a whole season. That should be that. But I got to be honest, since the Red Sox like went on their post all-star game fade, they were right there with Tampa to win the division. It's kind of felt inevitable that it was going to be Yankees Red Sox in the wild card game. I, I thought it was going to be Sale pitching against Cole. That would have been a great matchup. The way it worked out, though, Sale had to pitch today for them to win. Uh, Yavaldi's been better, though, so he's getting the start against Cole. The game is going to be at Fenway, I think. It, it's really how do you handle Judge Stanton and, and Rizzo and, and, and the bats for the Yankees because Fenway suits those right-handed hitters really well with the monster there. So how do you match up there? I think Tampa Bay, who they'll see in the – who the winner's going to see in the division series is beatable. I think the Rays have overachieved again this year. I think they're not quite as good as they were last year. I think a lot of their postseason run last year was lucky. Um, not to say they didn't deserve to be there, but the winner of this game is going to beat the Tampa Bay Rays. That's my bold prediction. And – with the Sox at home, they did just get swept by New York uh, at Fenway last week. So they're they're, they're going to be angry. And, I mean, I got to lean Sox. I think Nasty Nate's been as good as anybody in baseball over the last month. So I, I like the pitching advantage. Cole's been a little dice. He's given up a lot of home runs in September. So I'd probably lean Sox. I have no true thoughts. I don't watch enough baseball to actually have full thoughts on this. I just wanted to give you the floor here. My quick thought, just based on what you've said, I probably lean Yankees just because Garrett Cole is pitching and they have, you know, bats up and down that lineup. I'm not saying the Red Sox don't. I just, I don't know. Bogart's been struggling lately. Like, it's really been JD endeavors lately. So the Yankees definitely have the lineup advantage. Something in my head says says Yankees should be favored in this game. Also, Yankees are favored technically. So, I mean, you're, you're reading that right. Just so you know, though, you apologized for the Yankees and Red Sox winning games. I will say this. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Baseball is better when the Yankees are good. And I hate when people are like, oh, yes, the Yankees are bad. Baseball is so much more boring when you don't have like a team to root against. And I think there's another team in these playoffs to root against, and we'll get to that team in a second. But the Yankees, to me, are perennially the team everyone wants to not do well. And so to have them in the playoffs and for everyone to actively be like, screw the Yankees, I hope they lose, that's good for baseball. It, it's good to have that team in the playoffs, and it's good for them to be good as often as humanly possible. But I have a lot of controversial baseball takes because I'm not a baseball guy. So baseball guys often don't like my opinions. Tom, the other craziness that went on today, the Giants and Dodgers were both still battling for the NL West crown into today. Everything else in the NL had been decided. The Braves had already locked up the East at a putrid 88 wins. The Brewers had locked up the Central with the Cardinals as the other team in the wildcard game. So it came down to the Giants at 106 wins and the Dodgers at 105 wins. If the Giants lost and the Dodgers won, I believe there would have been a one-game playoff to decide the division, and then they would have played the wildcard game. If the Giants won, they won the division no matter what, and the Dodgers would have to go to would have to play St. Louis. I believe they have to go. Does St. Louis go to them? Yeah, or do they it's go in to LA. St. Louis? It's in LA. So it's in LA. 
And that is, of course, as we've just said, that is what happened. The Giants won. The Dodgers at 106 wins are playing in a single elimination wild card game. They're the 11th team in MLB history to win 100 plus games and not win their division. Just absurdness going on right now. But, but Tom, I mean, this has been my read. This is my understanding of it. The Dodgers have been absolutely scorching since the all-star break since the trade deadline with Scherzer on this team with Bueller on this team I'm not going to name all the pitching they have they had a Trey Turner at the deadline with what this team has if they get past this single elimination game they should be the heavy favorites not only to come out of the NL but to win the World Series and that's what we were talking about before the show was I think we're both in agreement. Their best chance to get knocked out is this first game against St. Louis. Adam Wainwright had a really good September. He feels like he's been in the league for 100 years for the Cardinals. You want to talk about hot 17 wins in a row in September for the Cardinals? They cooled off a little bit at the end, but I mean, you don't you don't want to be riding a massive win streak into the playoffs, so good on them, but really coming out of nowhere. They finished 18 over 500, and we talked about that 17-game win streak, so they were really you know right around 500 going into the month and just... I can't believe they're there. It's so St. Louis to just kind of pull this run out of nowhere. And if if there's a team historically that you don't want to face in a one-game playoff, it's St. Louis. And, oh, by the way, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt know how to swing the bat. That lineup is still really dangerous. Max Scherzer going to be pitching for the Dodgers. And, like I said, Wainwright for the Cardinals. So we'll see how Scherzer does in the one-game playoff. You know he's going to bring the energy. It, it's It's – can St. Louis get to him early? And it, I'm I'm almost more excited for that one than the Red Sox and Yankees. But it, it's going to be a great couple of days of baseball. You're only more excited because it doesn't involve a team that you have to... Like, you're going to be stressed through Yankees-Red Sox. You can just enjoy the good baseball in uh, LA-St. Louis. Like, this is... In terms of games that baseball could not have been more happy to get... This is such a great matchup of star power on both sides. There's great pitching. There's great hitters. There is just so much intrigue in this one game. And like, I think this is an excellent case for MLB. And like, that's what I look more at. Like, you got Yankees, Red Sox on one side, you got Cardinals, Dodgers, one game to decide who gets to play the Giants on the other side. And like you, like we just said, like, a single game elimination, it doesn't tell you who the best team is. It just tells you who was the, the better team that day. And in baseball, that's why the five and seven game series are so much more indicative of who the better teams are. You know, generally you will get the better teams to win series, although a team gets hot and, you know, they can make a run through the playoffs like the Cardinals, like we just mentioned, the Cardinals did in 2011 when they knocked out a 102 win Phillies team. So, like the Cardinals have a history of just showing up in the playoffs, get being scorching hot, blowing through teams they have no business beating, and then ended up in the World Series and winning the World Series. It's the weirdest thing. They're the weirdest team. They have a great baseball city, so this is awesome for St. Louis. But if you had to like water gun to my head, the Dodgers are going to win this game. I, I think Scherzer's a better pitcher. I think this offense is bound to score some runs. It, this this just team is too good to me to lose in a single game elimination at home in Los Angeles. I'm just not seeing it. Max Muncie got hurt today in their last game. I think he's a huge piece in the lineup. We'll we'll see how they handle it without him. I'm trying to rack my brain in terms of the last time St. Louis has lost in the playoffs 
like the first round that they played, whether that be wild card or divisional round. 2010, maybe? I don't think since they went to the World Series in 2011, they've lost in the first round of their playoffs since. You know, they won the wild card game every time they've been in. So it's a team that knows how to win in the postseason. Like guys like Molina win. Guys like Goldschmidt know how to win. Wainwright. It's just that veteran presence against the best team in baseball. And yeah, I'd probably lean Dodgers with you and I'd probably pick the Dodgers to win the National League and win the World Series. But Man, you're asking a lot on a on a one game playoff against that team from St. Louis. Yeah, it's. I think the baseball playoffs are going to be super interesting this year. Again, I don't really play it, pay attention to baseball until the playoffs. But uh, if you had to guess right now, World Series matchup, what what do you got? Uh, ha- also, wait, but before you give me that, we I talked about this on the podcast. I don't know his name, so if you have his name, please throw it out there. But to the Milwaukee pitcher who just ruined his team's chances to make the World Series, you should be ashamed of your, yourself. Punching a wall because you had a bad performance and break or whatever reason he punched the wall. It was celebration, your, was it not? I think. I, I, I don't know. He punched the wall, he broke his hand, and now the entire Brewer strategy of we have six pitchers, or no, five pitchers, try and beat us. Here are three starters and two relievers. This is the only people we're going to pitch, and we're just going to be better at pitching than you are. You just threw that entire strategy out the window because you decided you were going to be a petulant child and punch a wall. You deserve any and all retribution that comes your way. I do not feel bad for you. Tell me if you have his name. I would love it Devin right Williams now. Devin Williams is his name. Devin Williams? Devin Williams, yep. Devin Williams, I do not feel bad for you. You should be ashamed of yourself. You've let your team down, and I often don't say things like this because I don't like getting on athletes, but this is a horrendous showing by Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Devin Williams. It was shaping up. Them and the Dodgers could have been such a good series, too. We'll see if LA makes it out, but... I mean, my man Jackie Bradley Jr. in a playoff series. What else could you want? Uh, let's. See, if I had to go World Series pick right now, um, it, it's hard for me to go anybody but the Dodgers. I think. I think any full series they win, like we said, all show the best chance they have to lose is this first game. So I'll lean Dodgers. I like the Sox to get to the championship series, um, but they're going to lose to Sox? the other Sox. The Chicago White Sox in the American League. So give me Chicago and LA for the title. And I hate picking repeats. So give me the White Sox in an upset. Let's go, White Sox. I like the bullpen. I like Tim Anderson. I think their lineup can match up really well with with LA's pitching. If if Muncie's healthy enough by then, it'd probably be Dodgers, but these these series are so hard to call. Like White Sox Astros could go either way. I don't feel good about any pick that I could make in this series. I don't think anybody should feel good about any pick. Uh, am I wrong? Wasn't Rays Dodgers the World Series last yes, year? Yes, correct. I am going with a repeat World Series. Rays Dodgers. Dodgers win again. I just best team in baseball. I'm not going to pick against them. And I think the Rays. I don't know much about them, but everything baseball people tell me is like they're young, the payroll is still low, but they still find guys that are like really great all around. So I, I like rooting for that kind of story. But Tim Anderson in the World Series, that's really what I'm rooting for. If I can get a Tim Anderson pimped bat flip in the World Series, ooh, baseball, you'll have you might have me back. That's all you, you might, might you need be reeled back, back in. They're throwing the line out and trying to reel me. They almost got me with the Field of Dreams Tim Anderson bat flip. I'm not going to lie. It was it was close. They're, they got me nibbling at the hook, but they, they don't quite have me yet. 
Uh, any anyone any other bat flip from anyone like a Shohei Otani bat flip would that get you? No, it's, it's, it's only, only Tim, Tim Anderson? Anderson. Okay. Yeah, no, we we need more Tim Andersons in baseball. And by the way, why we're here? Perfect opportunity. The Philadelphia Phillies lived their season as they have the entirety of their last couple of seasons. Disappointing. Once again, not able to make the playoffs, got swept out of it by the Atlanta Braves. They have the MVP on their team who I saw some metric the other day. I don't remember who, who I know Jason Stark put it in his article saying who he's voting for for MVP, but I don't remember who is like the guy who he got the stat from. So there's this like website or guy out there who takes all the statistics in baseball, puts it into an algorithm, and it determines how likely that player is on your team to transform you into a championship team. So if they're on your team, how likely are you to be a contender? This year in baseball, the number one player in baseball that was most likely to turn you into contender was Bryce Harper, and the Philadelphia Phillies won 82 games. Shameful. Shameful. They they are horrendous. I, I just I don't know what to say about this team anymore. You have the MVP, one of the most historic second half runs of any player in baseball history, and you win eighty two games. Cool. That's just awesome. it's just something about Philadelphia at this point. Like I, I I don't know how else to defend it with the Sixers collapse with with the Eagles doing whatever they're doing over there. Well, the the thing the thing with the Phillies, right? And I was reminded of this yesterday. I was watching a video from Secret Base. Shout out to Secret Base, and they did a video on the Phillies collapse. You know, Ryan Howard tears his Achilles against the Cardinals. Team is never the same. There was an article written after Ruben Amaro left that their scouting department and their analytics department was ten years behind the rest of baseball. If I'm not mistaken, that was in 2016. So if they were ten years behind. It's only been five years, which means they're still five years behind the rest of baseball if they're trying to catch up. I mean, it, this team is just very poorly built. They also have a, a guy who's going to get Cy Young votes in, um, I think his name is Ranger Suarez, if I'm not mistaken, that is his name. He was, a, he was a reliever for them, then he was their closer, and then they said, hey, we need you to start, and so he did that too and was excellent at it. Like, he's going to get Cy Young votes, not going to win, but absurd. They had a Cy Young candidate. And a world and a uh, MVP candidate, and they're not even going to sniff the playoffs. Disgraceful. Eighty-two wins. All you needed was eighty-nine to win the division. I was going to say that, that they were in the right division this year too. They just couldn't get it done. Absolutely disgusting. And and Acuna got hurt. So like the Braves have been playing without their best player. Silver since. platter, Philadelphia. Silver platter. And fumbled the entire bat. Literally the only hitter on this team that was good was Bryce Harper. And it was nuts because I don't watch many Phillies games, but the number of times I was watching a Phillies game and Bryce Harper would come to the plate and hit a home run and it'd be like, and his 20th solo shot of the year because there was never anybody on base. It just... What is it about MVPs? Like Shohei and Mike Trout were the same thing where it was like 45th homer and the Angels lose 6-3. The Angels are somehow more perplexing. The Angels have two... Of what the ten best players in baseball, mind you, Mike Trout was hurt all year. Five best players in baseball, I would say. Yeah, like Mike Trout being hurt all year really changes what they can be in a in a given year. But if you have two of the five best players in baseball, you would think that equals the playoffs, right? Nope, Angels don't even get close. Who's more disappointing, the Angels or the Phillies? Excuse me, (sighs) Angels or Phillies? 
probably the Phillies, to be honest, with with how bad that division was. Disgusting. I, I, this is why I don't watch baseball anymore, Tom. I, I'm frustrated, and I don't even watch the team play. That's I'll how say what we're all thinking. Bryce Harper should have stayed in Washington. Would have had a ring. Mm, that that is a knock him one in Philly. That's for sure. That is a good take, Loki. I love him. He's great in Philly. But yeah, that's a that's a pretty good take. Also, I just want to put this out there. I don't actually feel bad for the Phillies because they were so deeply unlikable this year between the anti-vax stuff they were doing and then I won't even bring up the other stuff with a certain guy who plays center field for them. This team was just deeply unlikable. I'll tell you after the podcast if you need to know. Tom, I'll just say it here. Odubo Herrera has been a known domestic abuser in his time in baseball. So this team is just deeply unlikable. And the fact they're not in the playoffs, low-key, cool. I don't have to convince myself to root for a team that I generally actually think is very not fun to root for. So there it is. There's the Philadelphia Phillies uh, therapy session. I guess I need it. Tom, I think that brings us to the end of another edition of There's a Lot Going On. Do you have any final thoughts before we let the people are go? We, are we converting you to a Chicago fan? I think that has to be your direction for, for the playoffs, right? White Sox? Sure, yeah, I'll re- but Tony La Russa is the, eh, is the hard part of that. Good point. They're, they're fun. Also, I'm just now realizing we weren't supposed to end there. There's something about success in Chicago, as I was trying to get to. Well, yeah, I was going to say, we, we've, we've been going for an hour and 12 minutes. Would we like to go for another 10 so we can hit the WNBA playoffs I, I, and that I, success I, I in think Chicago? You, I think you kind of botched what I thought was going to be a very good transition on my part there, but yeah, let's hit it. Go ahead, Tom. I will let you go. Let, let's jump in then. The Chicago Sky now up 2-1 on the Connecticut Sun. They've had two really close wins, both in Game 1 and Game 3. Connecticut kind of dominated Game 2 in their win, but uh, let, I'll let you go. Give me your. Let's do this quick. Give me your quick thoughts on the WNBA. Oh, my, my quick thoughts on the WNBA. Well, just that series. Just and then that we'll go series. To the okay, because the other series I have many more thoughts on, but... Chicago, if they're going to win the series, have to win Game 4. I think Game 5 in Connecticut is going to be a sun win if they get there. So, you know, what are you going to get out of Quigley and Vandersloot? I I think if they shoot well enough to win, they certainly can beat Connecticut. 86 points is a lot to score against that defense. So, I mean, it it was Copper with 26 today, so not even really your, your most prolific offensive player. And if you can get those guys, if you can get that kind of production, they're going to win. I'd probably still lean Connecticut though. So it's funny. I've I've been like locked into this playoff series. I don't know how like locked in you've been. I think Chicago's been the better team every game, including game two where they lost. They just weren't hitting their shots. And so I don't think Connecticut's looked very good. John Quell Jones has really been neutralized for most of this series. And I think realistically, even if it does go to a game five, having Candace Parker on your team, having Courtney Vandersloot, having Allie Quigley, People who have been there know how to win big games. Specifically, Parker, who's won a WNBA championship. I think I would. I think I would take Chicago in that scenario. I think in a game five in Connecticut, I would still take Chicago because I don't like. I've said so many times prior, I do not feel comfortable betting against Candace Parker. I think she's too good to bet against, and so I, I right now would say Chicago has the upper hand and is probably going to win this series. You mentioned Jones, like this Connecticut offense bother you at all that they're that they're not going to be able to score enough to, to win these games i think that's been some of the concern through these first three games yeah a little bit because they can't shoot with chicago when chicago's 
three-point shots are falling, which has been this entire series between Kalia Cooper, or Copper, excuse me, between Kalia Copper, Allie Quigley's been knocking her shots down, uh, Vander Sloot's been knocking her shots down. She's just been a wizard finding people open. Diamond to Shields hasn't been great this series, but like she's made timely buckets. Uh, Candace Parker, of course, is Candace Parker. Like they, they just are knocking down shots when, when the moment has called for it. And to me, Connecticut has just not risen to the challenge. And more specifically, their guards haven't been very good. Their guards just cannot, they couldn't hit the ocean right now. So I, I just, they scored 80 today, but it was an ugly 80 points, honestly. And I, I think Chicago has just been better all series. And I think right now Chicago is going to win this series. And it's, this is the Chicago team we expected before the season, not the team we saw in the regular season. Tom, let's jump over then to the series you have many more thoughts about, and that, of course, are the Las Vegas Aces taking on the Phoenix Mercury. Phoenix now up 2-1 to one after two, no other way to say it, dominant victories in this series so far. They won, well, I think they scored 87 today, 87 to 60 the game before they won 117 to 91 mind you that game before diana trossi had 37 points her playoff career high and i actually saw uh on the broadcast today that she had 19 points on contested jump shots she shot 77 percent in that game on shots that were contested today brianna turner put in a 23.17 rebound game Brittany griner added another 18 and 11 with three blocks just like this defense has been so good Diana Trossi didn't even play well today didn't even matter completely shut down the aces I gotta be honest it's DEFCON 5 right now for the aces it's 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 looking as bad as I can remember it looking Asia Wilson was 2 of 14 today from the field so you gotta think that improves in game four but that's the thing with Phoenix is that we kind of touched that with Hannah in the preview. Like, there's just so many weapons. You know, Tarasi goes for 37. It was the double-double today, and it's just someone different is going to beat you every time. You know, Skylar Diggins-Smith has been great. Griner's been great. Turner's been great. Can you get enough out of Vegas to win in Phoenix? I, I don't think they get it done. I'm, I'm willing to say Phoenix wins game four, and right now, I'd, I'd have to pick against my beloved aces. Their backs are against the wall, so we'll see how it goes. But Phoenix has looked really good, and they've looked like the best team in these playoffs. And you know what? This is another case of don't overthink it. Diana Taurasi has two opportunities to close your team out, and I don't think she's going to let that opportunity slip. She is the GOAT for a reason. She has consistently been one of the most clutch players in WNBA history. And I I think the other big thing for Vegas, they've gotten nothing out of six player of the year, Kelsey Plume this series. She has not looked very good in this series. And the thing we lauded them for going into the playoffs was they had seven players in double figures coming out of the regular season. And the Mercury were top-heavy. We thought them being top-heavy could hurt them. But just like in the NBA, if you have the top-end talent, you are in any series. And the fact you have Griner, Tarasi, and Smith, and then Nurse and Turner are also giving you a lot of that starting lineup, it hasn't mattered that the bench hasn't been great for Phoenix because their starters have been so good. And they've put the game so out of reach that even when the Mercury bench and the Aces bench go in, the lead isn't cut into it. I remember this got down to like an 18 point lead at one point 
and then the Mercury just threw their starters back in and it didn't matter. So I, I'm with you. I think the Mercury take game four and I think we're set, we're looking at a potential Mercury Sky WNBA finals, which I thought there was a strong possibility of that before the season, but I, I obviously didn't pick it. So I'm not going to laud myself for being some genius, but you I thought of, there was a possibility. You lauded yourself there. I, I see what you did. Come on, we got to find a way somehow to do it. I thought there was a possibility these two teams could be there. I thought based on the regular season, the Aces and the Sun were clearly the best teams, but Phoenix and Chicago have turned it on at the right time. And they scored eight points in the fourth quarter Vegas did today. They you know, they never really had a chance. I can't let you slander Kelsey Plum like that, though. She had like 24, 25 in, in game two that they got blown out. So it's not all on Kelsey Plum. She was bad today, but it's Cambage with – you know, 13 points is, is your leading score. That's not a recipe for success. Yeah, I mean, like you said, when your best player is 2 of 14, you're probably not going to win that game ever. Like, Wilson hasn't been great this series either. Like, no. Actually been very pedestrian so far in this series. So let me just throw these stats out there real quick since I have accused her of such things. She's had 15 and 9 in the first game, a win, only a six-point win, mind you. 12 and 9 in game 2, 8 and 6 game 3, the aforementioned 2 of 14 from the field. That's your MVP. That's not going to win you a series. Are you get an MVP performance in game 4 and 5, we'll talk. So, I mean, she's certainly capable. I wouldn't I'm not going to write them off, but it, it, it's it's hard to pick against Phoenix in game 4 in their own building. I'm writing them off. Diana Taurasi is going to put this game, this series away whether it's game four or a game five that officially brings us to the end of another edition of there's a lot going on we of course had to bring out the WNBA because we had such a great read on it up to this point and then all of a sudden our reads were thrown Shocker, completely we were out the wrong window. about something I, we're never wrong about anything Tom. Tom the key in life is to have a take don't admit you're wrong just change your take so now you're just always right you do that. All right. I've always said it's better to be loud than correct, so just make sure you're loud. Well, there you go. We, we have two different approaches to it. There's just You're going to be very loud about it. I'm just going to constantly change my take, so I'm never technically wrong. Uh, that brings us to the end of another edition. There's a lot going on. Tom, do you have any final thoughts other than being loud as opposed to being uh, right? Don't talk to me on Tuesday night. I'll be locked into the Sox game, so let's go. World Series is back on after that 5-1 comeback today. And don't talk to me Wednesday night because I'll be locked into some WNBA doubleheader action. That's Tom Shively. I'm David Orr. I'll catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on.